All right, look at your Bible with me at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'll tell you what. One thing about being the pastor of the same church for, what is it, about eight years now? Uh, you know, you got to watch out. You might get into a routine. And you don't want to fall into a routine because a routine can become a rut. And we got to get out of the rut. Don't want to stay there. So we're all actively alive and awake now since we got our yawn out of the way and we got our, our buddy watching us to make sure we don't go to sleep. We're going we're gonna to look at today uh, something that, uh, oh, it's uh, something that we don't think about all the time. Uh, as a Christian, we don't think about the things that are going to be uh, part of the things I'm going to mention today. Uh, the, the general ideal, I'm going to keep it on the, on the right track in the sense of being pertinent to what you're thinking. But we're going to talk about the mysteries of God. And when I give you those mysteries, uh, we are stewards of the mysteries of, of, of this age that we live in. And uh, I, I think some of you are going to say, you know, I didn't think about that. I never really spent a lot of time thinking about that. But I want you to think about these things because they are real. And I don't know why this noise is going on. Dave, Dave you got any idea why that kicking back on me and spitting at me? and It's just wanting to spit at me or something. Okay, let's, let's uh, try to focus in on, on God's Word. Uh, it says... Uh, beginning with verse 25, whereof, Paul says, I am made a minister according to the disbursement or dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, his, uh, of this mystery among the Gentiles. And here it is, the one he's speaking about, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery he's directing about here is the mystery that's never been revealed before. And we as Christians have the experience of Christ living in our spirit through the person of the Holy Spirit which is a mystery that's become real to us as Christians, that is not real to a lost person, that's not real to the world. But that's the mystery he's speaking about. He says, of this person that we uh, are talking about, that comes in our heart, verse 28, whom we preach, and then we're warning every man and teaching every man in our wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now the context, verse 28, would be the same person but the preaching is to everyone that uh, uh, we, we would warn them and we would teach them that we would present them perfect in Christ at the second coming or at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 29, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And verse 29 is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. And Paul said... This Spirit of God, this person of God is in me. It's moving me and it works in me and it motivates me to, to present the, the gospel of Christ and, and to do the work of God. Now, we've already looked at chapter 1 and discovered, if you didn't already know, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 
He could be the head of anything he wants to be, but he has chosen to be the head of the church. Now, if Jesus is the head of the church, what are we? Huh? We're the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet and the heart and the mind and the mouth and the arms and the legs and and all the other parts of the body. You and I are the body of Christ. So Christ is the head and we are the body and we are to function as a church like the body of Christ because we are the body of Christ. If you want scripture reference for that, you can write it down. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17 to 27. And so these verses are referring to us, the church, as the body of Christ. Now, Paul called himself a minister of the church in this text, and we all would be included there. Every one of us are part of the body of Christ, and we are a minister, and there's a definition to that word minister. But look at it there in verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. So he said, God made me a minister according to his own disbursement of grace and how he wanted me to be. Now, here it is. God put you here at this church, and here you are, and we want you to feel welcome to be included, to be involved, because you have a gift that you bring to this ministry, this body of Christ, that can help us do the work of God and function as the body of Christ and be effective in our witness, in our ministry as a church. Every one of us. And it's important. Now, the word minister, definition-wise, a very important word, means a servant, first of all. Every one of us are to be a servant. That's harder for some of us than the others. Some of us have a nature to be a servant of other people. You just, you know, some of you, when people are doing things, you just walk around behind them and you pick up and you clean up and, and you, you kind of organize things. And, and that's your nature. That's, that's good. That's a great quality. Some of you are not that way at all. You sit there like a knot on a log and can watch everybody work all day long. Now, is that not some of our natures, Right. Well, he said, of all of us, whether it's natural or not, we're ministers and we're to be servants. We're to serve the body of Christ. And we're to serve one another. Jesus, what did you say about who is the greatest? What did you say, Jesus? Can y'all remember what he said? That the greatest would be your minister. Those who minister to other people. Now listen, you've you, you got to be careful of life or, or you'll draw a circle around yourself and you'll be in your own little cocoon and your life will be all about you. And I know sometimes you've got to crawl in that cocoon and you've got to get healed. I understand that, but first of all, if you're like that and you've got to make your cocoon and crawl in it and heal, the first thing you need to acknowledge is that I am sick. Don't crawl in that cocoon if you're not willing to admit there is something wrong with me. Because if you don't admit that, then pride makes you think that's the way the Christian life is to be lived. The Christian life is not to be lived with you living in a cocoon. Your life is to be lived with you expanding yourself and looking out to other people and living with other people and say, Hey, how you doing? You doing all right? Hey, I'm glad you're here. Oh, go back to sleep. Hey, don't wake him up. Hey, your life is to be involved with other people. 
And so, you know, maybe that's to drive a bus. Maybe that's just to talk to people in church and encourage them. Maybe that's to teach a Bible class. Maybe that's to go witnessing. Every one of us are to go witnessing, right? But we all are to be servants, and we're all to be stewards. We're in charge of something. And we need to get ourselves fixed up, healed up, straightened out where we can minister and where we can be stewards. An attendant. We just flew on uh, Air France. Debbie and I, we flew nine and a half hours one way. Seemed like it was a lot farther coming back than it was going over there. Oh, I was tired and worn out. But we had stewardess and stewards that come up and down. And we had some we liked and some we didn't like. Right? We need to make sure we're the kind of steward in life that, that we can draw people to Jesus and don't drive them away. Now also, as we think about this word of a servant, are you a servant? All right, I won't park there. Are you serving? Listen, God called you to serve the body of Christ. God called me and you to serve the body of Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. And we're ministers. Now, the ideal from this servant comes the ideal of a bond servant. A bond servant is one who, take you back a long time, you've got to go a long time to, to, to acknowledge what a bond servant meant. But what it means is this. A, a slave was set free, paid for, bought and paid for and set free, and that servant, that slave, said, hey, I now want to be a bond servant of you and they would be for the rest of their life, and they would commit their life to that person to be their slave or servant would be a better word for the rest of their life. Now, with that comes the protections of that person and the, not to neglect that, that person that surrenders. And so every one of us, as a Christian, we are a bond servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to set us free from the penalty of our sin, and he set us free. And now, because we appreciate and love what he's done for us, we have made ourselves a bond servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, I've never done it. Well, you need to do that. It makes me wonder, do you really know Christ? A bond servant. We're to minister. Now, the Christian life's not going to have any joy in it if you don't understand the concept of being a bondservant to Jesus Christ. There's going to be a lot of problems for you. Now, this word minister is used throughout the New Testament. The, the ideal of being a servant and a bondservant also carries this ideal. It, it came from a, a seaman term. Now, we don't know anything about ocean sea voyages and things like that. Uh, we don't know anything about that stuff because we in the heartland, but that, that means an under-rower. We are to be an under-rower, a subordinate. So a lot of the ships had two decks of, of rowers. The bottom row is the one we're talking about here. All they did was row. They didn't have any decisions to make. They didn't have any breaks. They rode their, their term and then they were replaced and then they were put back in. And the ideal is that every person that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be an under-rower. A person that rows the boat and just rows with no rights. We have a problem today which 
becomes more prevalent all the time. I have my rights. Well, when we got saved, we gave them all up. We're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and we're to be an under rower. Thank God he's not cruel. Thank God he's not uh, red beard. He's not hard to serve. If you'll enter the yoke with him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But our attitude is that we are under his authority. You say, preacher, I'm not going to be under your authority. I don't want you under my authority. I have no authority but except to preach God's word. But you are to be under his authority. And if you're under his authority, you and I should not run into each other if me and you both stay under his authority. That makes sense? Makes sense to me. So this thing has been given out, dispersed among us that we're all ministers of Christ, whether we be pastor, deacon, or whoever, it's all about serving the Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of an under rower, Bottom of the boat, no promotion to the top, down in the hull, doing the job, we're doing no recognition, no, hey, you really, you know, you really, if, if you know, if they had pirate ships today, uh, and, and you put, uh, you put the, the Gen Z on there, that, that the guy would come down and say, you're doing good now, keep doing it, boys and girls. No, they wouldn't do that. But you know what, that's what we want, isn't it? We are a generation as the book of Revelation talks about, a generation, a Laodicean group of people that always want to be affirmed. That stuff is like marijuana and, and cocaine. It's addictive. Some of you need to be a pastor so that you don't have to live by approval. We don't need everybody. We need the Lord's approval. All right, now, so we're to be servants, bond slaves, volunteer slaves, undertowers, subordinates, subordinates, under authority. As Christians, that's the way we live our life. Now, when you get out doing your job, you got your job to do, you got to do your thing. If you're the boss at work, be the boss at work. But you can still have the attitude that you're under Christ. And we carry that with us. Now, Paul goes on to talk about the unfinished task in our text. He talks about the unfinished task. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but, you know, this thing of preaching the gospel and reaching the community, it's a never-ending job. It goes on seven days a week. It goes on 12 months a year. It goes on 24 hours a day. And guess what? When you and I walk off the scene, if the Lord doesn't come back, there's going to be enough to do when we're dead and gone to keep the thing working. The work is never over. Until Jesus comes, lo, I am with you even unto the un. Uh, end of the world. It's an unfinished task. The Apostle Paul did everything he could do in his lifetime to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. But when he got done and died, it was still a task to do because there's people that are born every day coming into the world and it's a never... Hey, we're not going to get done with God's work. 
He just mentions that. And I want to bring our attention to the unfinished task of winning people to Christ, discipling people in the Lord, and the work of the church never ends. Just keep on keeping on. Our work continues. Now then we want to look in a text about the the stewardship of the mysteries. Look at verse 26. Verse 25, he said, Where am I? I'm a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even, verse 26, the mystery which hath been hid, the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest in the saints. The mystery. Now the mystery he is speaking about in this verse, verse 26, is the mystery of Christ living in us after we're saved. That's the mystery he is direct because he mentions it in verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I wanted to mention the mysteries that are assigned to us as Christians uh, to keep alive, to bring it up, to keep it before the people. How many remember in the what happened in the days of Josiah, the the eight-year-old king, when he became king? Do y'all remember what was happening? It was Jeremiah's father that was the priest that went into the temple and he discovered something, didn't he? He discovered a dust-covered scroll, didn't he? Not that it was lost. It wasn't lost, but it was neglected. They knew where it was. Isn't it amazing? They got away from the things of God. They got away from the Word of God. Hey, and you can do that. You can get away from God's Word. You can get away from the task. You can get away. You can forsake and neglect the things of God. And we shouldn't do it, but we we can and we do. Now, these mysteries... We need to present them to people and keep them before people. They're in the Bible. Let's not let the Bible become a dust-covered book and people not know what's in this book. Now, you say, preacher, that's not going to happen. i got news for you. We don't realize. I don't think we're... I think we're starting to realize the effect of taking prayer and Bible reading and saying you can't do that in the school. Not that it had to be done as much as it's a rejection of God. You hear me? Not that it had to be done as much as it is. Turning our back as a nation on God. God, your, your, your Ten Commandments are not welcome in the courtroom. Right? So as Christians, it's our job to keep these things in front of one another. And so I'm going to mention these mysteries. We're going to start, we're going to start with, the, with, with, with the last one. Uh, the mystery of the Antichrist. Now, you say, preacher, what do you, what's, what's that got to do with anything? It's a mystery that's not revealed that we need to remind people. We need to remind people that the world is coming to a climax. The world is coming to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The world is coming to Jesus coming again. We are to remind people of that. Two of the mysteries. The iniquity of the revelation of the Antichrist and the mystery of the rapture. That's two of the seven. 
The church has a responsibility to remind people that Jesus is coming again and the the 666, the Antichrist, is coming. And I'm going to tell you something. The world tries to tell you all that stuff. Oh, they've been saying that all my life. I've heard that all my life. Well, listen, if you've heard it all your life, it's because it's important. We don't know when it is, but it's coming. So... Number six is the, the revelation of the Antichrist, or maybe this is number seven. Number, number six or seven is the mystery that Jesus is coming in the clouds. You say, preacher, why do you believe that? Because the Bible says it. The Lord's coming again. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then Thomas goes into that where Jesus lays it out that preparing a place in heaven, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man can come to the Father but by, by, by me. You go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you get to verse 16, verse 13 through 16 and 17. Hey, he's coming in the clouds. You go to Acts chapter 1, he left in the cloud, and those two men stood there in white apparel, saying, Why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall in like manner come again, as you have seen him go. We need to remind the church that Jesus is coming again. They're not doing that. They're not doing that in the woke churches. You know what they're, you know what they're trying to emphasize in woke churches? The environment, uh, global climate change, right? It's not cold or hot anymore. It's climate change, so it can go either way, right? Whichever way it goes, it's climate change. You say, preacher, you're just being stupid. No, you don't hear that around here, and that's why you think I'm stupid. That is really a reality going on. I, I've, I've been keeping up with the struggle that's going on and where preachers are preaching that that's an issue to be concerned with. I'm going to tell you something. I'm leaving that in God's hands. I do believe in global warming, but it's going to be all at once when he sets it on fire. Until then... Lord Jesus, let it global warm. I'm tired of this cold weather. How about you? I want it to warm up. Now, another mystery, and I'm calling this five, and I don't have it really in order, uh, but is the mystery of, of Babylon. And we're to remind people of that. We're to keep that. And I told you when I did the introduction, you don't care about this stuff. I told you. Because you know what your attitude is? Oh, let the preacher worry about that. I just worry about this. You know, oh, I'm just... And you worry about less and less all the time because you get somebody to handle your problem. But it's your stewardship that I'm talking about. This is on you to keep in mind and to remind people. And the mystery of the great horror, Revelation chapter 18, is that all Christians are going to come together in a fake church in the end time. We're going to lose our personal identities as churches. going to be just one religious group just like any other religious group do you see that I see that I see that and then another one is the mystery of the rejection of Christ by Israel the nation that happened already the mystery of the rejection of Christ as their Messiah hey that's a mystery that's uh, Revelation, uh, not Revelation, Romans chapter 8 talks about that, that the Jews would reject their Messiah. 
and they would not believe on him until the tribulation. And then there's the mystery of, the, of Christ coming into the world through a virgin birth. That's actually mentioned in 1 Timothy 3.16. See, the Jews did not understand that. I don't know how they figured the Messiah was going to come, but they, 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 they saw very little in the Isaiah's uh, word from God about a virgin shall conceive. But I don't know how they figured the Messiah would come, but, but they figured it didn't come the way Jesus did. That's a mystery to the world. And you know what? There are people today that call themselves Christians and don't believe in the virgin birth of Christ. And let me tell you something. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he's a sinner just like me and you. He may be able to be a good leader, but he can't be a great savior. Because the blood that had to be sacrificed on that cross had to be the blood of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's a mystery to lost people. And listen, they'll make mock of it, make fun of it. I told you a couple weeks ago that uh, a guy told Billy Graham back in the 50s that, that Billy Graham, you, you can be a great leader among Christians if you'll just quit talking about the blood. He, they said, that makes you look like you're stupid. That's a mystery. But it's the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the the coming of the Lamb of God into the world to take away the sin of the world. And if you don't have a sinless Savior, you don't have a Savior at all. And then the mystery that's mentioned in the text, and I'll get to that, because only one of them mentioned, the others are in there, and they're told to be mysteries. I'm not making that up, okay? I want to let you know that. But the mystery that's covered in the text is the mystery of Christ living in you and we being the body of Christ that is at work today in the work of God. That's the mystery that he mentions here. You and I take these things for granted. We take these things for granted. And, and, and you know, we don't talk about them every week. And, and you and I as Christians, I think sometimes we live our life just like we're an ordinary Joe. That big deal, Christ lives in me. It's a big deal. That Christ lives in me. He lives in you. And that's the Spirit of God. That's when you were born of the Spirit of God, when Christ came into your heart and He lives in you. Verse, get back to my text, verse 27. Whom God has made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When I mentioned the, the rejection of Jews, I failed to tell you that the church is going to be made up of Jew and Gentile, of all groups of people in the world. Now, that's the mysteries. What does he go on to say? Because that's, that's not just, oh, hooray, preacher. But it's truth that we need. Verse 26 says, whom we preach. Warning. Now back to where the church comes into play and where we get down to business again. You say, preacher, that mystery stuff, you keep that all to yourself. I don't want to hear no more. Well, this part you got to take on. Whom we preach. Whom we preach. We don't preach about an event. We don't preach about a timing. We preach about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, folks, when we talk about the cross, we're really talking about the one that died on the cross. 
and was buried and rose again. Our message is that we preach Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And he said, the method is in here. We warn people. We warn people. Let me ask you something. Are there some people in your life that if they died today, you haven't warned them? You know, what if, what, what if, what if the bridge was out on the way to town? What if you have your cell phone with you and you're driving to town today and, and uh, the bridge is almost out, but you made it through and you went on and you didn't call anybody? Wouldn't it be a shame? That'd be a shame. Listen, there's a, brig, a big bridge out after death. It's called eternity. And people that are not prepared for eternity go to a Christless eternity and a lake of fire, separated from God and good and their friends and all, forever and ever and ever. And listen, I don't care how many people want to tell you that hell's not real. It's still as hot as it ever was. And it's a reality. Oh, but people are more educated today. We're more sophisticated today. We don't need to hear about fire, and we don't need to be thinking about things like that. Oh, what do we need to be thinking about? You tell me something better to think about. You better be saved, or you're going to spend eternity in hell, separated from God, and all of our loved ones, I don't care how good they are, I don't care how nice they've been to us, hey, if they've just been over backwards to be good to you, and you allow them to go to hell without warning them, shame and shame on you. Well, hallelujah, preacher. I really love that kind of preaching. Just keep preaching the Word. Amen. When a person gets saved, we become responsible. It's my job as a preacher, as it says here, to teach, verse 28, and to teach you in wisdom. It's my job to tell you and to warn you and to remind you that the world's going to hell today in a hat basket and we need to tell people there's a way out through Jesus. When we get saved, we become responsible of this mystery that people can be saved through trusting Jesus as their Savior. Thank God we had a girl saved last night. Now look at verse 28, he says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving, working, uh, according to his working which worketh in me mightily. Paul said, this is what we're about. This is what we're about. People are dying and going to hell. And we got the good news. We're about telling people the good news. We're to be striving. That's an athletic term. We're to be striving, putting out energy to get it done. Using, as Paul said, God's energy to get it done. Well, this is a mystery. It's a responsibility of you and I as the church to tell people in our community and around the world about Jesus. All of us is part of the family of God we need to come together. We need to work together. Strive together. Pray together. Meet together. Gather together. Work together. That we can win people to Christ. I uh, read about Dean Wicks. 
he he was a a preacher years ago. There, there's a there's other Dean Wicks, but the one I want to tell you about, I want to close with this illustration. He says one of the signs that a person has grown up. This this is good. One of the signs that a person has grown up is that they figure out what is important. And they take for themselves some enterprise, some undertaking, and say, I belong to that. That's important to me. I want to do this. Did you get it? The reason I use that illustration is there's something that matters to you. Everybody in here, you got something that matters to you. Some of you, it's what on you, what's on your telephone, which is nothing. It's going to burn up and pass away. Something is important to you. That something needs to be molded around God's will. And you need to give yourself to that. Be involved in that. Take it as an undertaking and says, I belong to this. This is important to me. And it doesn't need to be the world and it doesn't mean, need to be your fortune and your future. It needs to be something about God. I want to challenge you today by closing. You and I as a church all together have been given a responsibility for the mystery of sharing the gospel with the world. Especially in our community. The people that you work with. The people that you meet with. And I want to challenge you that you would discover as you become a mature Christian that you would discover that there is something bigger than you that you need to give yourself to, and that is that people could find Christ in their life. Let's bow our heads. Let our musician, song leader come. Let's all quietly stand to our feet. I'm going to stand here at the front and maybe God has put on your heart to come forward today and say, Preacher, I, I want to be involved and I want to, I want to, Lord, I want to be involved in, in the mystery of taking Christ to the community that we live in. Would you come if you'd make that decision? If that's on your heart, if God has touched your heart, We can give ourselves to building our life, building our car, building our home, building our business. And at the end of our life, it's all going to pass away. But we can give ourselves to a bigger purpose in life, which is to share Jesus with our community. I'm not saying you've got to be full-time invested in that, but that's a part of your full life. Would you make that call? Maybe it's to work with teenagers. Maybe to work with children. Maybe to work with senior adults. Give yourself to that task. Let's sing this out. Just as out one plea that 
thy blood shed for me that of God I come I Let's have our ushers come to receive the morning offering today. Hopefully you didn't already.